Well, you see, Colonel, troops are like children. Just as a child wants his father to be firm, troops crave discipline. And one way to maintain discipline is to shoot a man now and then. Hello, and welcome to Film Church Radio, the podcast that treats cinema like a religion. It's Sunday. I'm Brandon. And I'm Lewis. And we're here to talk about movies. Each week, Lewis and I alternate picking a film for both of us to watch and discuss. But this week, we continue our 2023 director retrospective on Stanley Kubrick. Uh, We are going chronologically through the films of Stanley Kubrick and discussing them each in detail. Uh, This week, we're discussing Paths of Glory. I don't know why that was so hard to get out. From 1957, starring Kirk Douglas. Um, What would Hitchcock call this film, Lewis? Um, I think you'd probably call it a war picture. That's right. Uh, And kudos to Kubrick. I mean, at 28 years old, he created one of the greatest and most gut-wrenching critical looks at authority in warfare possibly ever. Uh, so much so that this film was banned in France for years. Um, but I think it also applies to more than just France. Uh, for one thing, in the film, they're not speaking French, so it's easy to kind of see them as maybe like an American military or a um, British military. Um, but I think a lot of things in this film apply to, yeah, a lot of military and authority in general. And, uh, yeah, we'll get into that some more here as we get into the show. But before that, just want to say thank you to everybody that's been listening. I know people are really liking this Kubrick series. I know I am. Uh, it's really putting into perspective him as a filmmaker and creator uh bless you (laughs) a lot of these films uh a lot of these early films of kubrick's we haven't seen and it's really helping to frame you know who he was as a person and a filmmaker he was always a mysterious person um throughout his life um but thank you guys for listening uh please you know hit subscribe if you like the show, so you get notified every time we post episodes, but it's always on Sunday. So you can always be sure that we're going to be there every Sunday morning with a new episode of Film Church. Um, You can find us on social media platforms at Film Church Radio, where we post extra content and little clips from the show and fun stuff. Uh, YouTube, we've got some extra content, so please give us a follow on there. And... (laughs) those Dallas allergies um <laughs> I've muted everything so <laughs> Lewis, as soon as I hit record he's just been sneezing non-stop non-snot <laughs> we've had some ghosts <laughs> ghosts in the machine 
for this recording. So, of course, that's when my allergies would kick in because it's, you know, 21 yeah. degrees. So, of course, my allergies would kick in. That that's, sounds about you know, right. That works out. Um, yeah. So, anyway, thanks, everybody. And before we discuss a film, we always do a little discussion of other films we've been watching this week, kind of like trailers before the feature. So, we're going to do that now. So, what's up, Lewis? What have you been consuming film wise other than Kubrick? Yeah, good question. I've been uh going back to Spielberg a lot. I mean, Fablemans has been, you know, was my favorite film of last year and I've watched it a few times now. Um so I'm going back and watching some ones that I haven't seen for a long time. Um and that includes at the moment the Indiana Jones trilogy. Um started with Raiders of the Lost Ark, which I hadn't seen for maybe six or seven yeah. years, like quite a while. Um, and it's amazing. It's so good. It's so fun and like action packed. Um, there's not a lot, I think that I can say on it. Um, Harrison Ford, you know, he he just, I said to Chelsea, it's so ballsy that Spielberg just knows that he's iconic from the, like from the off, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's a, it takes a while for him to be revealed and then you get the big, you know, the ball sequence and, there's like the silhouette of the sun where he's like wearing, you know, he puts his fedora on and he's just, I'm just like, this is to know that he's going to be iconic before the films even come yeah. out. It's incredible. Um, and then we watched Temple of Doom, which um, I tweeted about because I, I I see a lot of people say that it's like the weakest of the trilogy, like the original yeah, trilogy. I don't think that. Um, and I don't, no, I don't think that either. And I think, this time going into it, I was thinking a lot about Spielberg, how he said that he's never, kind of like Kubrick, he never really makes the same film. He's always kind of trying to yeah. do something new. And I watched this through the lens of like, this is a parody on the first mm. one a little bit. It's kind of like, I said in the tweet, it's like Evil Dead 2 yeah. before Evil Dead 2. It was like, you know, I'm going to take these characters, but we're just going to change it slightly. So it's a little bit more wacky and fun and we can do some more crazy yeah. things in it you know because the first one does feel apart from like faces melting and stuff it does feel very mm-hmm. real and the second one really leans into that like mythology and and just you know the the bonkers acts like aspects of um of the indiana jones yeah. films and i love it i think it's just it's just yeah. a really fun watch well temple of doom is like i mean it, the, the idea of Indiana Jones spawned from doing something similar to James Bond, which it's not like, yeah, like James Bond is a character who, the same with like Batman, you can just take that character and put him yeah. in any movie you want, and people get it. Like they know the character, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't have to make sense, you know, as far as like, well, which one goes first and which one, you know, like you you don't really need to know that much yeah. about his personal life to like have fun watching him mm-hmm. on adventures, you know? Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And so Temple of Doom is like the only one that really doesn't have anything to do with his personal life. You know, and no, I think that's yeah. why it's the most fun because it's, it's the most, you know, they could just do whatever 
you know there was especially because like the first one you know it it does have a slightly to do with his personal life um and then the second one you know which if spielberg knew he was going to make a trilogy it's like the second one is the one where you can kind of do whatever you want and then the third one there's a little more pressure yeah to kind of pull it all back together yeah yeah and and i think it i mean it is when when you talk about trilogies i think it's up there with one of the most perfect trilogy you know it Mm -hmm. is a perfect trilogy yeah in my eyes because it is exactly what you said you have that establishing film where you get to know the characters and and kind of what it's all about on the base level you have the second one which is just the first turned up to 11 you know with the set with action sequences that are still incredible i love the bridge sequence at the end like with them hanging off and it's just amazing um and then the third one is like a real character study yeah of you know a father figure and what drives him to be this you know archaeologist that yeah. travels the world yeah. putting his life in danger um it's amazing and there is that kubrick um connection there because in uh, temple of doom as a part a small part is a uh, philip stone um who plays uh, like a british captain who's uh charles grady in the shining and also the dad in a clockwork orange mm. um okay and it was I think I'm just so in that mindset right now that when we were watching it, I said to Chelsea, I was like, wow, he's like, he's using him here. And Chelsea was like, who is? And I was like, wait a minute. This yeah. Is Kubrick <laughs> <film."> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of crazy. I mean, we'll get, we'll get onto it once we get later in the Kubrick uh, filmography, yeah. but yeah, around the time that, you know, Kubrick was making the shining Lucas was making. Yeah. Empire Strikes Back and Spielberg was making Raiders of the Lost Ark and they were all sharing ideas yeah. and sharing like behind the yeah. scenes stuff and talking to each other and giving each other advice. And it's just so mind blowing to think about like, I mean, like maybe there's stuff like that going on now, but but not to the point, yeah. not to the point where like all of those films are so iconic. I know, yeah, it's insane. Um, and it is it's just yeah to see all these overlapping like themes and people and yeah you know they obviously used people from other films that they've been told hey he did a really good job you know maybe give him a small part whatever um yeah it's um it's great yeah and it's kind of just tying everything together because obviously Spielberg will go ahead and make like a a uh, Kubrick film mm-hmm. eventually he'll make ai which uh, yeah i think is one of the like lost well or forgotten scripts or you know not made scripts that kubrick had yeah lying around so yeah and then i um and then i watched something completely different mm-hmm. i watched the lady from 1941 um starring barbara stanwick and uh henry fonda um a very light rom-com um but I liked it a lot. It was really fun. The jokes worked. Um, the premise was different and the characters were really interesting. And um, yeah, it was just a fun watch. Yeah. Nice. Um, and I gave it four stars and it's directed by Preston Sturgis, who um, has done quite a few kind of really famous comedies of the classic Hollywood age that I've never really watched a lot of. So I'm glad I ticked this off. And uh, Barbara Stanwyck is just phenomenal. Yeah. So... I'll be watching a lot more Barbara Stanwyck films in the months to come, I'm sure. Sweet. 
Awesome. Yeah, but that was it. We haven't finished the trilogy yet. Yeah. I think we'll probably do it this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Indiana Jones. And we'll probably watch Crystal Skull as well. Yeah. <laughs> Just to but, get it in there before the new one. Yeah. I've been, I think I'm, we mentioned it. I've been like chomping at the bit to go back and watch these. So Yeah. Um, and they're all on Prime, which which helps. Yeah, for so, sure. Yeah, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. What have you been watching? Um, it's been kind of a light week movie-wise. Um, I have yeah. watched some other TV things, which I might get into here in a bit. But the movie I watched was You People, um, the new written by Jonah Hill um, film, written by Jonah Hill and Kenya Barris uh, and directed by Kenya Barris. Um, and uh, it also stars Eddie Murphy, Laura London or Lauren London and uh Julie Louis Dreyfus. I had been kind of anticipating highly anticipating this movie um ever since the first trailer came out and I wish that I hadn't hadn't seen that second trailer. I know that uh you had mentioned like hey have you heard about this new movie and I was like yeah I saw the trailer like a few months ago or whatever and and I didn't realize there was like a new trailer out and then I saw the new trailer a few times. Yeah, I wish I hadn't seen that new trailer because most of the good jokes are in that second trailer. Oh, dang. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I did like the movie a lot. Like it's it's really funny. It's very relevant. It's one of those movies that tackles like some like very culturally relevant issues. Um, Yeah. It, the way that it kind of resolves them is a little, <laughs> what's the right word? It's a little optimistic. Okay. Know? Yeah. Which is good. You know, I, like, yeah. you know, I don't want to be pessimistic about these issues. Um, you know, I think there is hope for the future. Um, but, you know, the the parts that, that didn't work were just, were mainly just like, I saw too many of the jokes beforehand. And then the yeah. editing was a little weird, like especially after seeing the trailer, because a lot of the jokes in the tra- the in the way it, it's almost like the movie was edited like a trailer, because like some of the jokes mm. that are in the trailer that are in the movie cut the same way they do in the trailer, mm. where it's just the joke and then it cuts away, and I'm like, what? Yeah. I expected a little more. <laughs> It, yeah. Like, cause you know, in the trailer, you're like, "Oh, that's gonna be a good scene," and then you see the scene, and then immediately it's just what it was in the trailer. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. Where yeah. it's like, ah, that was really funny, yeah. but I wish I had seen it in the movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> For the yeah. first time. Um, but yeah, I mean, everybody gives amazing performances. Like that, I think, you know, the writing is good. Like, I think it just falls apart mostly in the editing, but like the writing is good. And not that it falls apart completely. Like, it's still a really good movie. Yeah. But, again, the writing is good and the acting is really good. And yeah. and that lifts it up a lot. So That's, Yeah. That's good. I mean, again, it's one of those things, you know, we browse Netflix pretty regularly and it seems to have just been lost already. Yeah. Yeah. And it did and have, like, a one weekend that it was out in yeah. cinemas and I saw it that it was out. And oh, good. it was the same... Well, I didn't see it in cinemas, but I saw that it was in cinemas. Yeah, and I was like, it was a, it was the same time that I was wanting to go see the whale, and I almost mm. went to see it, see you people instead of the whale because 
I really wanted to see it. You know, I was like, this will be fun to yeah. see in theaters. I know it won't be in for very long, but I opted to see The Whale anyway. And um, yeah, I don't know how much it would have changed my experience, but I wish it had, you know, I mean, if it stayed on longer, I probably would have. Yeah, yeah. But mm. yeah. There was relating to The Whale, but totally unrelated to anything you just said. It just made me think of it. There was a very funny tweet like um, that I saw the other day, do you know how there's the trend of like taking a certain person and being like, if this person was in Oscar, in the Oscar nominated films for Best Picture, and it's just like a, a scene that relates to the filming somehow, you know, like Top Gun Maverick, it's whoever that character is talking about planes or whatever. Yeah. Um, somebody did it. It was like if Brendan Fraser's character in The Whale was in every Oscar nominated, you know, film this year. And it was just the same image that they've used for all the promotional <laughs> campaign yeah. of the poster for every single film. And I found it very funny. <laughs> <laughs> I don't quite understand what you're saying. <laughs> I'll have to find it yeah. and send it to you. We'll have to retweet it because it was very funny. Yeah. Um, it's hard to explain. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm butchering it. It's not. It's okay. It doesn't do well in translation. Yeah. But yeah. it was very funny. Post it on the, post it on the Film Church Radio Twitter. <laughs> So if I find it, yeah. it's probably lost to the algorithm now. But yeah, um, yeah we'll do. Um, yeah, You People is one that, you know, I think will be a good Chelsea and I film to watch because it seems, you know, it's a comedy and it's light and, you know, happy ending. Yeah. By the sounds of it, mm-hmm. not to spoil yeah. it. But yeah. um, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a rom-com, like. you know, at yeah. the end of the day, it's a rom-com and it's basically like uh, meet the parents. Yeah. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah. and uh, and I do like Eddie Murphy. I'm glad that he's back and doing things. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah. did you see? <laughs> did you see his uh, Golden Globes acceptance speech? He it, he got like a I forgot what yeah. the award was, but it was like a special award, not like lifetime yeah. achievement, but it was something like that. And he like gave and it. his like tips for making it in the business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so like I was like about to start writing these down. I was like, "Oh, this is good advice." And you got to yeah. the last one, and I was like, oh, yeah. "Okay, <laughs> it's nearly a year since that happened." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is gonna be an interesting Oscars. Yeah, I don't think definitely. I don't think Will Smith's gonna be there. Yeah, I wonder who they're gonna have present Best Actor for him. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Chris Rock. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> Well, see, I would like if if they, you know, I don't know if they'll like get on good terms at any point, or if they ever mm-hmm. were in general. But I mean, yeah, the best thing for the academy would be those two guys walking out on stage together and presenting. But that's not going to happen. Yeah. No, <laughs> the Oscars. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, TV wise, uh, speaking of Netflix, I watched all of that '90s show. Oh yeah, yeah. Which is, I mean, it's What's... shorter seasons. I mean, it's like, yeah. TV is not the same as it used to be. It's like no. all the like, there's eight seasons of that '70s show, and they're all like twenty something episodes, you know. And this is yeah. ten episodes for one season. Um, yeah. but I was a big fan of that '70s show. I mean, I grew up watching it. Yeah, just such an all around great, hilarious show. Yeah, and you know, mm-hmm. nostalgic, and uh, yeah. and so that '90s show 
you know, is it's got a lot to live up to. Plus, it's yeah. like the 90s, which, you know, I actually lived through. <laughs> so it's like, you know, referencing things from my childhood and stuff. Um, yeah. But I mean, you know, I didn't expect too much from it. Like, mm. I, you know, for one thing, it's a sitcom with a laugh track. You know, it's yeah. like, yeah. you know, you, it's it's a weird thing to do today anyway. Yeah. So I just kind of set my expectations really low and really enjoyed the show a lot. Oh, like, good. Yeah, I good. I liked it a lot. Like the, watching yeah. it was just like uh, putting on putting a warm blanket around me. You yeah, know, I was just like, yeah. I mean, as soon like the first episode just like was funny. You know, all the cameos that you wanted, and then it was just like. Every night after that, it was just like, yeah, let's put this on. Like, I mean, it's like a yeah. half hour. Like, I yeah. want to watch it, you know, and it's it's yeah. comforting. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's got like mixed reviews and stuff, obviously. But mm. I mean, so like, you know, I'm I'm very critical of things sometimes. But like, yeah. this is one of those things where it's like, if you're a fan of the old show and you don't like the show, just watch the old show, you know? It's like how how good could this be? Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, and I think that's the because I haven't seen that seventy show for a long time. I watched it a lot when I was younger, like a lot. Um, and we watched the first episode, and I was like, I kind of just want to go back and watch the old one. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I think that's what I'm going to do. And I, I might, you know, I might get around to watching the rest of it, but I just didn't. I don't know. I just like you said. I think I'd just rather watch the old one, yeah. and that's and that's fine, you know. Yeah. And I'm happy that. That I mean, there's a lot of people that I've that I've talked to that have really liked it, and all the cast seem to have enjoyed making it. Yeah, yeah, which is great. So I mean, the um, the the hardest thing to accept is the new set of cast. Yeah, you know, and it's yeah. like you kind of have to like give them a little bit of a chance. And I still feel mm-hmm. like after this first season, I'm like not totally there yet, as far as like yeah. I, I I've got to yeah. see like some more episodes to really like get used to the characters but it's a short enough season that i was like well let's just finish the season which we did and then we've already started that 70s show again so it's like yeah you know i think the trouble for me especially is that the the cast of characters from that 70s show was so well done Mm -hmm. in terms of like they're just so simple you know you've got the main character you've got the girl next door you've got the stupid one you've got the hot girl you've got the the stoner and you've got the the foreign student yeah (laughs) and it's like perfect that's all you need to know like every setup is just around those simple characteristics and here it's hard to it's hard to figure out what the characters are yet yeah and also be like oh they're just trying to do this again yeah yeah Mm -hmm. you know which is i know they're not and but it's hard it's hard when a show is that simple to get around it yeah. but keep it fresh you and know? simple <laughs> and simple yeah um yeah but yeah i mean i'm glad that they made it yeah. i didn't think that it was going to happen and and that all the cast kind of returned as well apart from the ones that couldn't um yeah, yeah and so, that's definitely the most awkward part about it is the yeah. fact that like hyde's not there and yeah, they don't acknowledge it at all, and yeah. you know it's it's. I mean, but what are you gonna do? You know, it's like 
Yeah, you can't. Yeah, what what can you do? Yeah, you're right. You can't. Either way, you know, if they'd been like, oh, you know, we've killed Hyde off, people would have been outraged. Yeah, and if they'd been like, oh, Hyde's away, they're like sidestep. It, yeah, yeah, just le- like don't mention it. You know, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um. Yeah, I mean, I just enjoyed it for what it was. Good, you know, and I yeah. I would watch more for sure. You know, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's so, great. Yeah. And I think that you know, sitcoms have been hard to come by of late. So if there's one that works for you, like, I celebrate it because I love a good sitcom. Yeah. So better than How I Met Your Father. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we stuck with that through five episodes, and I was like, um, I didn't even get that. I far. can't do it. I can't do it. Yeah. Um, and because even then we went back and watched the original, and I don't think I, I got a few seasons in. I was like, I just I can't like this. It's is a lot. Me it's a anymore. lot of seasons. Yeah, I know. I think the trouble is it peaks with episode three, and I've said this from the first time I watched it. The third episode of How I Met Your Mother is an all-time great sitcom episode for me. Yeah, um, and it's just downhill from there, mm. which is a shame. Because um, I again I used to look, like really really love it, but. I don't think I'll be going back to that. Yeah. Or watching How I Met Your Father, which, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, the thing about How I Met Your Mother was it was like, it was such a thoughtful, I mean, yeah. sometimes. I mean, it's also dated when you go back and watch it now, but parts yeah. of it were very thoughtful and emotional, more so than a lot of other sitcoms that you, that you would watch. Um, Have you ever watched Frasier? I haven't, no. Is it like that? Frasier is the only sitcom that I've ever watched. And I think this is why it's my all-time favorite. Um, because if something emotional happens, they don't try and undercut it with a joke. They let it sit. Mm, and it's it's just, it's such a good balance between the two. Yeah. You know, um, there's certain episodes that still get like, make me, you know, well up. Yeah. Watching them for like the 12th time. Hmm. You know, um, you should watch Frasier. Okay. I will. There's a lot to go at. But it's incredibly funny. Yeah. It doesn't really run out of steam until like the last half of the last season. Yeah. If I don't, or even if I do get through all of that 70 show again, I will I'll switch to Frasier. I'll have to curate you some uh, <laughs> some of my favorite episodes. Yeah. If I don't watch it all. Yeah. Or just tell just me which ones Just to be like, there. this is what you're missing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> well... <laughs> Speaking of letting things sit, I think that's it for <laughs> this section of the show. This gets longer and longer each week. <laughs> <I know. laughs> um, now it is time for our feature presentation. Paths of Glory, 1957. It explodes in the no man's land no picture ever dared cross before. A commanding officer defends three scapegoats on trial for a failed offense that occurred within the French army in 1916. Uh, This film is based on actual events. Uh, It is several places for free right now. Two in particular are Tubi and Pluto TV. Um, They have ads, but you don't really have to create an account. You can just watch it and I would recommend doing that. Um, yeah. It's a really good movie. Yeah. Uh, timeless. I think this film 
kind of represents a part of humanity that has always existed and possibly will always exist. Um, unfortunately. Yes. Yeah. I mean, if aliens came to Earth <laughs> and they're like, what are you guys about? I might show them this movie. Wow. You know, it represents yeah. a lot. Yeah, for sure. You know. It does. Um, and I think that we, we had mentioned it last week when we said that this was the one, obviously, that we'll be watching, um, that I had seen it before. But it's one of those films that really stuck with me. I think watching it this time, there wasn't really many sequences that I had forgotten, mm-hmm. which doesn't always happen. You know, there's always kind of, you remember like bits, um, but not like, you know, whole settings. Whereas I could vividly remember the trenches. I vividly remembered like the the scene, um, the court martial scene, like the execution scene, um, and then the ending. All those like the big set pieces. Yeah, I vividly remember. And I think that speaks to the to the magnitude of this film um, and what it's and what it's saying. Yeah, because it really kind of stays stays with you. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad that we went back and rewatched it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was interesting because I think for me, like the, you know, the second part of the movie, which all, you know, revolves around, you know, post taking the anthill and the, the, um, the trial and the execution mm. and all of that stuff. Um, like that is most of what stayed with me and trying to analyze that. And so when I went back and watched it for the second time, uh, which for the show, like this, I just watched it for the first time last week, but I watched it twice for, you know, to do the show. Um, But yeah, going back and watching it the second time, I almost forgot how big and intense the the trench and the the battle scenes and the no man's land scenes, how how much of an actual like war epic those scenes were. Yeah. Um, because it's so quick, like it's like 30 minutes into the movie and all, all of the big action sequences are over. Yeah. And then you have another hour of just mostly dialogue. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just, and you know, emotions and just themes that, you know, I love, <laughs> which I'll keep banging them on about that on the podcast, you know, religion and faith and, and just, you know, questioning one's place in the world and kind of what it means to be a human. Mm-hmm. Um, all these huge questions are tackled within the last 45 minutes. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, it's just, it's kind of crazy to me that this was yeah. like so early in Kubrick's career and one that's yeah. not, that I don't hear as much talked about, you know? Mm. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just an absolute classic. Yeah, um, it really is. Um, not his first war picture, mm-hmm. uh, not his last. Yeah. Um, obviously fear and desire. And then we go through this and we get Spartacus, which is a war film, you know, um, we get full metal jacket as well further down the line. Um, but I think the, the setting of of 
of war and soldiers, there's a lot that can easily be communicated to us, you know, without having to do that. I don't want to say heavy lifting, but without having to to do a lot of exposition. You know, we know that the First World War was was very rough and that, you know, a lot of people died needlessly and that conditions were absolutely appalling. Um, all it needs to do is to, is to get the representation of that right within those establishing shots. And we, you know, it's it's a lot of the, the work that's done. Um, I think where you can see him grow as a filmmaker from Fear and Desire is that this tackles similar... Um, similar themes but it's it's done on such such a higher level the artistic touch is there whereas in fear and desire it was really you know it, it was really bland there were some elements that really really were good um but here it's like the whole film is just is so brilliant yeah yeah it's amazing how quickly he kind of stepped into uh I don't know, just learning from his failures, you know, yeah. uh, you know, learning from the mistakes he made on his first two films and well, first three films, I guess at this point. And yeah, just really honing in on uh, what it was going to take for him to create a good film. I mean, he was like notorious for doing scenes over and over um, hmm. and doing a lot of takes and stuff. Um, I think I mean I've I've been reading I've been reading and listening to so much stuff about Kubrick lately that I'm having trouble remember remembering which pieces go to which film, but I, yeah. I wasn't this a film where somebody like he did he was doing a take and somebody blew up on him, it was like you know you're unprofessional you're an amateur yada yada yeah and he was like. Okay, well, we still need to do one more, and yeah. I know you can mm -hmm. do it because you're you're good. So yeah. we're gonna do another now. <laughs> yeah, a lot of yeah. I think I, I've read that same story in relation to this as well, and I think that um, a lot of people said that that's when he really became like a director because he not only did he not back down. Um, I mean, we talked about this a little bit on the killing last last week with the cinematographer. Um, but not only did he not back down, but he also got what he wanted out of it. You know, he he let them vent and calm down and then he did it again. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was a theme for, I think that now that the budgets are bigger, he, he knows that he's be getting more exposure. You know, it's not just going to be, you know, distributed out to independent theaters and stuff like that. Um, he's really trying to make it as good as it can be. Yeah. Um, and he he's doing that by trying something different. I mean, there's a lot of shots in here that are very prolonged. You know, when we're moving through the trenches with everyone, it's just like one shot, um, which he's famous for. When we're doing the attack on the ant hill, it is that one continuous tracking shot across mm -hmm. the battlefield. Yeah. Um, these were not normal things. You know, we think that they are now as viewers because we see them all the time yeah. we see these prolonged you know there's films that are you know, quote unquote one take um they've been made but this is just so out of the ordinary for the late 50s um it's an, it's incredible yeah um 
I, it, and it just shows how much he want, like how hard he's working at to make this as good yeah, as possible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I remember hearing in a, a early interview with him where he was talking about um, film and and how well, like the the invention of TV or the popularization of TV, um, and like contributed to the lowering of standards because like people could entertainment companies can make money now on just like cheap jokes yeah, and cheap crap. like yeah. yeah just throwing content out um and same with movies hmm, i wonder what that's like yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then the same with like movies too is like you know the 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 standards have been been lowered with movies and and he he went the opposite. He decided to go the opposite way. Now he was like, "I'm gonna make yeah. really good stuff um, yeah. that's gonna stand out from other things." And yeah, I mean, at this point, he had made three features, none of which had made any money. I mean, even as mm. this is his second, uh, the second uh, Harris Kubrick uh, collaboration, which Harris was his producer um, on mm. the Killing, and and now this and. And yeah, and neither they still hadn't made any money yet. Um, but the studio yeah. gave them another chance. Um, but then they quickly got fired because they wanted to work on this, and the studio was like, "No, more movies are not going to make any yeah. money." Um, yeah. And uh, luckily, they got the attention of Kirk Douglas, who was able to kind of secure the financing for them. Um, and then, what's the production company? Yeah, it's Douglas's production company. Yeah. Because um, I know that, you know, that it did ruffle some feathers because while it was that production company, um, Kubrick kept putting up signs around the set saying, you know, a Kubrick Harris production. Uh, um, that's so petty. I know, yeah. <laughs> Bryna Productions. Yeah. Uh, um, and I think Douglas got a little bit um, annoyed about that. Yeah. Um, but it almost didn't happen. I mean, Douglas had seen the killing that year and was like really taken with it. Um, really wanted to like be a part of Kubrick's next film. Um, but he had a play lined up and they like they were kind of under pressure, Kubrick especially, to get a film started with star power. Yeah. So they kind of moved on from Douglas. They were like, okay, maybe, you know, in the future if something comes up. Um, and they were trying to actually get Gregory Peck for a while. Oh, okay. Yeah. To play Dax. Um, and then all of a sudden the play that Douglas was doing kind of like got moved and he became available and that's how the film was made, you know, cause it was star power. He was coming off a real good run. He had done like ace in the hole and uh, champion and yeah. I think nominated for an Academy award. So it was kind of like, okay, we've got our star, you know, we can sell this film. Yeah. Um, and then it became, you know, the paths of glory. Um, but I think another interesting story that Douglas tells in his autobiography is kind of where Kubrick's mind is at this point. Uh -huh. I know that you talked a bit about um, not making any money, um, but Douglas says that when he arrived on set, he received the shooting script that was completely different from the script that he had read originally that got him interested in it. Uh. Um, and it was, there was like full like monologues and things like that. And um Right at the end, the the car, a car would come screeching in to save the three soldiers, you know, at the very last minute, and it would be like a happy ending. Um, 
and he he called Kubrick in. He was like, "Did you write this?" And Kubrick was like, "Yep, I rewrote it." And Douglas was like, "What? Why would you change the original script?" Um, and Kubrick said that he's um, he did it because he wanted to make it as commercial as possible. He wanted to make money. Uh, and Douglas was like, "I am not making this. Like, we go back to the original shooting script, or I'm not doing this film at all." Wow. So they went back to the original shooting script. Wow. Well, thank God, because um, yeah. Can you imagine if Kirk Douglas had not and Gregory Peck stayed mm-hmm. on in this movie and they made that script? It'd be terrible. Yeah. It would. It would just be another generic Hollywood film. Yeah. But I think that you know the original shooting script I think shows what they want to make. But I think Kubrick was torn between like, do I want to be a filmmaker that makes artistic films but never any money? Or do I want to be a filmmaker that makes money and can like just pump out films? Yeah. You know? Well, his money um, days are definitely coming. But yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's so hard to know, man, at this point <laughs> exactly. in your career, yeah. what's going to happen. Because like, mm. you know, I was I was talking recently about this with, um, with like Sarah and um, my brother-in-law and stuff like about, you know, I mean, everybody says Kubrick's a genius. You know, yeah. it's just like thrown around as like common knowledge that Kubrick was a genius, which he, like he becomes a genius. Yes. But I yeah. don't think he's a genius yet at this point. And like, you know, just like reading more about how. Like, I, like if it, most people would not have been able to go this long, continuing to make movies without making any money. You know, he had like a rich uncle that kind of funded one of his films and like, you know, how many other geniuses are there that never got discovered because they didn't have that kind of like foundation and like family and like just all the stuff that comes with that kind of privilege, which I'm not saying that he didn't work hard. I'm not saying that he's not a genius. I'm just saying like you know like yeah i don't know <laughs> i'm just saying like yeah. it, it's it's there's so many people that that didn't get that chance or or didn't like you know like i said if kirk douglas hadn't stepped in here yeah what, his, who knows what yeah like yeah. you know uh, and which makes me um admire douglas even more for you know kind of stepping in and yeah. and discovering kubrick in a way and launching his career yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, I was watching an interview with, with Kirk Douglas. Uh, it was like 1979. He was on a talk show, and he's talking about his career and stuff. And Yeah. Um, yeah, he's talking about uh, working with with Kubrick and, and everything. But what was interesting was like, because I'd never really seen an interview with, with Kirk Douglas. He's such like a down to earth like um just kind of nice guy yeah Uh, and he and he was kind of going into how people kind of his because of his on-screen persona people just thought he was like this hard tough guy yeah you know um and he seems like it like in this movie he seems like the guy kind of guy you don't want to f with you know yeah um and uh yeah, it it was it it was really cool. Like I haven't seen him I in a ton of movies. Like I think I've seen probably Michael Douglas a lot more obviously. 
Mm. But um, it was just kind of cool to watch him in a just be himself a little bit. And he even goes into like how it's easier for him to be an actor than to be a normal person. Cause like mm. as an actor, he can be like, okay, I can be this character. But then when he has to sit on a talk show, he's like, who? like he gets kind of shy. <laughs> it's just yeah. kind of like <laughs> cool to see someone like such, mm. like such a big star, you know, just be like a normal yeah. person. Yeah. And I think that like this is the the point that makes the film work the most. I mean, the direction is incredible, but Douglas's center performance is phenomenal. Yeah. He's you I mean, you would go into battle with him. Yeah. You know, you would follow him to the ends of the earth as a as a leader. Um and also just his tenacious ability to kind of continue to keep trying to save these soldiers lives you know he doesn't succeed but i don't think that that's a comment on his efforts i think that's more a comment on the on the on the politics of it yeah exactly yeah i mean he's like stuck in a position where he's you know got well what i found uh, somebody noticed the second time is the his direct superiority is like a drinker like they don't yeah. see him drinking all the time, but he's like always like he's it, there's a couple of scenes where he's like cognac or whatever, yeah. And, uh, so he drinks, you know, he's drinking a few times, and then one of his um, one of his men, one of the generals, like right under him, is like a a blatant like drunk, yeah, alcoholic, yeah, yeah. Um, and. I don't know what that says exactly. I just found it interesting, but he is a man who's like stuck in between where he is trying to, he is not only like uh, a dutiful soldier, but he is like, he wants to do what's right and believes in humanity. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So he's just like stuck right in between. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, that's war. You know, you're wanting to protect your country, you're wanting to fight for what's right. Um, but in the end, you know that it's not the best way to solve conflicts. Yeah. You know, it's 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 needless killing of, of just nameless faces. Yeah. So that, you know, you can get the upper hand. Um, and I think that, you know, the, the fruitility of war is definitely something that this highlights. The fact that all this comes out of a failed attempt to take, you know, 10 yards, yeah. <laughs> however long, however far it is. Um, and just, there's just, I mean, not only the men that get killed on the battlefield that are falling around them when they're doing the, the when they go over the top, um, but the three men that, you know, die due to execution for being, for not going through with it. Yeah. Or going through with it and retreating. Yeah. You know? I mean, one guy um, just gets knocked out. He didn't, like, it's like yeah. so crazy. Yeah. Exactly. And I think, I mean, that whole scene with the trial is so brilliantly filmed by Kubrick because not only does, you know, there are there are close-ups, but when Douglas gives his speech, the camera is behind the accused um, and there's like a tracking shot behind them. So we don't, net, I mean, I would have expected it to be a close-up, you know, close-up on Douglas himself giving this speech, like this empowered speech. Um, the room is so cavernous that it's like echoing around 
and it's just like they aren't paying attention. Yeah, you kind of you're just shouting into a void. It's not going anywhere. You're not, you know, it's not going to make any difference. Yeah. Um, and again, it's just so artistically done and just completely different to what was being produced at the time. You yeah. know, it's making the viewer work as much as the filmmaker, but it's you know when you get to that cross section, it's glorious. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've seen so many things say that this is an anti-war film, mm. but I don't really think it's an anti-war film. I think it's an anti-authority film. Yeah. You know, and that was the first thing that kind of stood out to me watching it the first time yeah. was just like uh, highlighting. Because even before you get into, you know, knowing that the... um the main general is a complete idiot <laughs> general <laughs> paul miru or however you say his name i'm yeah. so bad with saying names on the show <laughs> uh but george mccready played by george mm-hmm. mccready like yeah before you even know that he's like supposed to be like a villain you've got the whole scene with um you know the the other general taking these two guys into battle um purposefully killing the other one making it look yeah. like it was the enemy and then trying to act trying to cover it up you know yeah um and yeah it just it's kind of it's so in your face and gut-wrenching and yeah um yeah i mean i can see why i mean and this is what 1957 so like I feel like being critical of the military is become something that's yeah easier to do nowadays, you know, um, with yeah. the internet I think and it's... stuff. But like at at the time, I could I can imagine that a lot of people hated this movie, and I don't know. It's like even Americans, I can I can see that they would just like hate this movie, even though it's like about yeah. the French, but like. It's all mostly like American actors, you know, so you can easily see this as like, I mean, you can just easily see this as any military, I think. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, And I think that it's part of Kubrick's life. You know, he grew up in the 40s where the war was happening. um, And he's just like seeing the aftermath and kind of like, what what are we doing? You know, and that yeah, and just that new sensibility. Whereas if you go back a little bit further, you know, you think of um, like you know John Ford and John Wayne films. It's kind of very heroic, and you know we're we're doing the right thing, and and all that kind of stuff. Um, but this is yeah, this is um, this is much more like it's not. I don't know. I I guess the film does present like a a certain perspective that this is obviously wrong, but it's yeah. not, but like I said, I don't think it's totally an anti like war film. No, you know? no, I don't think so either. I think, um, like we said before with Douglas's character, you would follow him into battle. You know, yeah. there's still heroicism throughout the, um, the platoon or, you know, or the regiment or whatever we would call it. Um, also it does a really good job of not letting us see any of the enemy, you know, it's still kind of like the other, um, which is very 
creepy as well. Um, and going back to what you said, my favorite sequence is the where they go out at night on the night patrol. Mm. That whole thing is just is incredible. Yeah, it's um, very it's my, intense. Yeah, and then when the flare goes up and you just realize that the ground is littered with dead bodies. Yeah. Um, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely love it. But yeah, I'd, yeah, I think it's hard to make an anti-war film when you're showing them at war. Because there needs to be at least some kind of point. Yeah. You know, because if everybody was against it, then, you know, there's, there's got to be an equilibrium. There's got to be some kind of balance. Yeah. Um, and I feel really sorry for the, the, the soldier that's shell-shocked that gets like slapped across the face by the, by the corporal when yeah. he's doing his walks through. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so many little bits in there that just like, this isn't right, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah, well, that, it yeah. almost looked like when the movie started, you know, because I've seen Dr. Strangelove, and when the movie started, yeah. it's almost sh- like, for one thing, it's black and white, but also the way that it's shot is very similar, from what I can remember, to Dr. Strangelove, where you've got a lot of like these kind of medium wide shots, um, you know, where you're getting pretty much the whole frame of the except for maybe their feet but sometimes their feet of the character's body um and then it's like a low angle so everyone feels kind of giant um and and so you know the opening scene of course watching it the second time like there's so much in that opening scene that that tells you so much about the movie but watching the first time you don't really get everything and then it goes into the trenches, you know, and that's that long shot. And the music kicks in, and it kind of is like, yeah. okay, here we go. The movie's picking up. Um, but, yeah. yeah, but then the general's, like, going along, talking to people, and then he slaps that guy. And at first I wasn't sure if this was going to be kind of satirical. Yeah. You know, I was like, is this going to be funny? Yeah. I, I really had no idea what I was getting into. Um yeah, because that juxtaposition of the general walking through in all his like splendor and his cape and, you know, like nodding at everybody and smiling and them all looking <laughs> like they've been at war, which they obviously have. Yeah. Just like dirty and depressed and you know, no morals and it it is, you know, darkly funny. Yeah. Um and I wanna, you know, after you've kind of finished your point, I do want to continue this train of thought about Kubrick being like darkly humorous throughout all his films because there's other instances in this and we know we've talked about it on the killing as well um in his previous films yeah well what's interesting to me about that the, the that opening scene where he he slaps the guy and then he's like he's like get this child or baby or mm. you know whatever he calls him out of here he calls him some yeah. kind of child or something because the guy is like shell shocked and he's like, there's no such thing, you know, get this baby out of here. Yeah. But then like in others, like later on in the movie and later scenes, that general and his superior both act like children. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and they're not the ones yeah. in battle. Like, I mean, I guess yeah. maybe they've seen battle, but it brings up another point where um, it's George McCready, right? The, the actor who's great in the movie, by the way. I mean, yeah. Oh yeah. You completely hate him. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, he's got this huge scar on his face. And when it, you first see it, you're like, 
you know, my first thought when I saw that was like, oh, okay, this is, this tells me everything I need to know about this character. But then by the end of the movie, I'm like, oh no, it didn't. Like my thought of seeing that scar was like, oh, this is a man who's seen battle. This is a man who's fought for his country, you know, who's seen, seen a lot or whatever. And then by the end, you're like, maybe he got that scar just by being an idiot. (laughs) <laughs> you know, yeah. Maybe, maybe he got that. Fell on him. Yeah, maybe yeah, somebody fell on his. him. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, or maybe he was like being a part of a group of guys that were like hazing, you know, or like yeah. Yeah. he just did something completely stupid that guys do when they get together and violence is celebrated. You know, like, like who knows? Mm. Like he's clearly an evil human. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like absolutely no honor. Yeah, no one at all. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and, and and yeah. I again, I just love this movie because of its its take on authority. Because everybody, even if you haven't been in the military, everybody who's listening to this has been in a job where they've had an authority figure that complete just completely. Like Uh-oh. you just had no idea. Like you knew that they had no idea what they were doing. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I'm not talking about you, Lewis. I was gonna say a yeah, <laughs> side note, for quite a period of time I I was Brendan's boss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not talking about you. Um we lasted we had a good run, you and yeah. I. <laughs> um and it ended well. Um Obviously, we have a whole podcast together. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, it's it's like you always expect, you know, your higher management to kind of have it together, but they're usually just baffle- bafflingly terrible at their jobs. And it's like <laughs> yeah. the military is not immune to that. And I'm not, you know, I respect people who serve their country and stuff. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I have the utmost respect for you, but like sometimes pe- you, pe- people can't be perfect 100% yeah, of the time. Yeah, and people, the wrong people get promoted yeah. and have the wrong motives. Yeah. And yeah. like, the, I think this this movie just really highlights all that stuff. And I think the perfect example of that, I think that's a great point. The perfect example is when at the end, you know, um, Dax is brought in and they revealed that there's going to be a inquest into Moreau. Um, firing on his own men um yeah and and his his reaction to the whole thing is like i knew you're after my job to dax yeah and it's like that's not it at all like that's that's not even you know crossed out like ours the viewer mind yeah yeah i mean it reveals more about him obviously like yeah reveals more about his character than it does dax definitely yeah, um, but coming back to the darkly, the I mean, just sadistic nature of it, I think the way that this film's structured is really playing with your emotions as a viewer um, because it's not ever like made clear, you know, we that they are definitely going to be shot. Yeah, you know, we don't get the we just we don't get the verdict. We just hear it from the from the other soldiers, and there's always that belief that something's going to come and save them. And it just keeps us kind of like far enough away from the carrot that we're still chasing it. Yeah. And then when it happens, it's even more crushing. Yeah, exactly. Because it's yeah. just like, ugh. Well, I think ugh. that's that's probably uh, what makes the film work so well. And mm. pr- probably 
wouldn't be as good if Kubrick hadn't gone down the route of writing a script where he did save them. Yeah. Because yeah. I think that created a feeling within the story that you think they might still get saved. Cause there's those scenes where they're in the, in the prison and they're like, we have to get out of this. How are we going to get, you know, they're kind of like yeah. whole scenes where they're trying to plot on like how they're going to get out of it. And then, um, the Corey character, uh, Tim, Timothy, Timothy Corey's character, he's like, or no, I'm, why am I saying Corey? I said Corey in the last episode and it's Carrie. <laughs> See, I do this. I don't know why. It's yeah. like Han and Han. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the Timothy Carey character, he's like, this is poisoned. I'm not going to eat it. There's a way I'm, I'm getting out of this. I don't know how, but I'm getting out of it. You yeah. know, and, and then the, the scene with the cockroach where it's like the guy's like, tomorrow that cockroach is going to have more access to my family than I will. And then he like kills it. And he's like, now you've got the yeah. edge on him. You know, you yeah. like there's always this little bit of hope um, until, I mean, just right up to the few moments before yeah. they're shot. Yeah. Like you still wonder. And then, and then like those the editing and those shots up to that moment and mm. and continuing through that moment like he just stays with it you know you yeah. just sit there yeah. and you you have to watch it and the shots are i mean i love that shot that's just like right behind the the line of guns yeah, yeah. and it just it just shows you you know, it just, it's, it's yeah. just like, this is, there's no way out of it. This is yeah. happening. It happened. It happens. And there's so much weight to it. You know, there's, yeah. mm -hmm. it, it just, you know, it's, it really makes you deal with the reality. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, even it's, yeah, it's so, like, again, it's the, it's the ridiculousness of it, really. You know, Joe Turkle's character, um, Pierre Arnold, who is knocked out, um, pretty much on death's door, they save him. And then they say, when we take him to the firing squad, we're going to have to, like, wake him up so that he can face it. Yeah. And it's just like, why? Like, this is so. Why did you save his life just to kill him? Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. It's uh, it, it's a good watch. I mean, it's a very good watch. And I think going back, you know, Chelsea always says that the films I watch are really depressing. And I think that this is a perfect example of it just not working if it wasn't yeah, depressing. Exactly, yeah. It needs to have that to be like, to be able to say something of any worth. And I'm not saying that every film that is depressing has something of worth to say in every film that isn't doesn't. Um, but for this, especially when it's like the brutality of war, it works. This is how it, you know, it works the best in this way. Yeah. And I mean, I think the, the hopeful part of the movie is somewhat in the ending. I mean, it's still depressing, yeah. but like, you know, I mean, it, all of the hopeful part of it kind of lies within Kirk Douglas's character who, not only does everything he can to save these men's lives, but he also does everything he can 
to place the weight of the guilt onto the people responsible for kill, like yeah. for ending these men's lives, you know, yeah. stated in the courtroom scene where he's like, to find these men guilty would be a crime that will haunt you for the rest of your lives. Yeah. Um, but then also to, to make the general who had a personal reason mm -hmm. for choosing one of the soldiers, you know, be the one yeah. to have to like tie them up and stuff. Um, and he doesn't get, you know, very easily like in that scene where he's like, do you want to blindfold? And the guy's, the guy doesn't even talk to him. You know, he doesn't say yeah. anything. And the guy could have very easily, you know, then he says, it's, you know, he says, I'm sorry. The guy doesn't say anything. He very easily could have said, it's okay. Or, you know, something yeah. to like yeah. lift that weight, but no. He has to live yeah. with the weight of that for the rest of his lives, the rest of yeah. his life. And I can imagine, I mean, as we know, like, you know, warfare is horrible and a lot of these guys do not come out of it okay, even if they live, you know, it, like everything haunts them. Um, but then also, you know, just seeing that, okay, there is someone within in there that, that cares about humanity, yeah. that cares about his men. Um, and even up to the end where he could have gotten the promotion, he he's like, yeah. Yeah. screw you, no. And, and yeah. then the ending, which is somewhat of a, I guess like a cathartic release for the soldiers, like the, you know the the German woman who yeah. who sings the song is kind of mm -hmm. I guess expressing uh, everything that these men want to express but can't. Yeah, and, and she's on the other side. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. That that's the enemy. Yeah, quote. You mm -hmm. know, and uh, yeah, and in the end, like Kirk Douglas his character Dax is still just trying to do every little thing he can to, yeah. uh, to, to just make it better. And, yeah. and, and in the end, the only thing he can do is give those men like a few more moments to sit there. Yeah, exactly. And I think that the important thing to take away from his character is not that, you know, he tries so hard to kind of, to, to make sure that they get away, which unfortunately they don't, but that doesn't mean that his quest ends you know with those shots being fired he's still like on that quest he's not you know it's not um just this one instance that he's taken um taken you know offense to it's kind of the whole setup and you just get you, you get that feeling that he's going to continue fighting for justice and like stop this kind of thing happening again in the future yeah um which i guess is you know is good it's not, you know, uplifting. It's not like the happy ending, but it's still like, you know, there's someone morally that you can kind of cling to. Yeah. Um, I did just want to say a few things about uh, Kubrick's like production on this. I think, you know, we know Kubrick is the the controlling um, auteur that wants everything to be just perfect, and I think that we start to see this come through. Um, he completely immersed himself in like World War One. Um, images and and facts and you know spent a lot of time kind of researching what it was like to be in the trenches at the time even as far as to 
to find out what cigarettes French soldiers smoked, mm. um, what posters they had like in the trenches, you know, what kind of things they ate, you know, everything just to make it as authentic as possible. Um, the only thing that wasn't as authentic as it could be was the size of the trench um, because he wanted to fit the camera in it. Yeah. Um, a lot of pictures had like filmed it from above, looking down into the trench up until this point, but Kubrick wanted us to move through it with the with the um with the soldiers um and he widened it and then ah. placed the planks on the ground so that the camera could move through it on wheels yeah i mean it so all that it yeah. serves well for the movie i think it does yeah, yeah i think you really get you know that it feels authentic it doesn't feel like these are people in costumes you know running around on a set yeah it does feel like an actual trench and the no man's land area is just I'd, i want to use the word like it's it's incredible and really gorgeous but not in like a a good way if that makes sense it looks really realistic with the craters and the way that you know the ground's all set up um it's absolutely stunning to look at yeah um they got it you know they got it bang on yeah yeah, and the only other, <laughs> I mean, the biggest non-authentic thing for me is that they aren't speaking French. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I guess you know, for, especially for this time, you could not, you could not create a successful American film. Yeah, that was foreign language. Yeah. Which this film, exactly. well, I mean, was this film successful? Um, well, I mean, yeah, I was going to get onto it. No, it, I mean, Kubrick, um, it didn't make any money. And yeah. part of Kubrick's contract was that he would make money from the profits. Um, so again, uh... he didn't make any mo- money from it. Um, Douglas said in his autobiography that um, a film can't make money unless people pay to see it. And people can't pay to see it if it's banned in their country. Yeah. So, you know, they they went for the you know they went for the jugular in terms of the themes of the film and who they were going to like lament. Um, but it didn't. It meant that they didn't make money because yeah. you know France banned it outright. Um, I don't think it was shown there until like the seventies or eighties, maybe. Mm-hmm. And then other European countries also took it to heart as well. Um, so. Yeah, it's a shame. Yeah. But yeah, he didn't make any money. Ooh. I know. Well, I'm excited to like I'm excited to know that he's gonna make money at some point. <laughs> His yeah, success exactly. is coming. I mean, but like yeah. and and kudos to him for not giving up at this point, because I mean, I don't know how you couldn't have. I know. But I mean, speaking of contracts and and what was in them. Kirk mm. Douglas was contractually obligated to be in a scene without a shirt on. So <laughs> they do it right off the bat. <laughs> like, yeah. right when you introduce his character, he's like shirtless, like kind of washing his <laughs> Get face. Get it out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the last thing I want to point out is Menju, um, who played um, George Brulard, the, the older of the, of the big wigs um, that basically tells him to take the anthill and then, um, offers Dax the position at the end. Um, 
he spoke to the press around this time of this coming out about working with Kubrick. And he said, the greatest director who launched me on my career was Charlie Chaplin. Stanley works more like him than anybody I've ever seen. And that is that the actor is always right and the director always is wrong. He'll be one of the 10 best directors when he usually, um, he'll be one of the best 10 directors, but it usually takes three pitches. So I guess it's the next one. Um, He had forgotten, I think. About Killer's Kiss. Killer's Kiss (laughs) and Fear and Desire or just didn't know they existed because they probably didn't get a, you know, a a theatrical release. Um, But I mean, he's bang on. The killing is amazing and that's you know the third picture is that one where you're like okay this is a filmmaker emerging now yeah you know um he's right (laughs) yeah yeah for sure i mean um yeah for anybody out there listening just remember i mean it's it's like that though with people like yeah like people don't know about all the other stuff that people do you know what I'm saying? It's like usually mm-hmm. when something comes out, like when someone blows up, they're like, oh, they came out of nowhere. Yeah. Like they have no idea how long and hard that person has been working. And it's like, yeah, just, just take that in consi- into consideration that like, uh, yeah, this is number four, four. and yeah. it's going to be five maybe. Yeah. It sets them off. I don't even know if Spartacus yeah. is the one, but you'll find out next week. Also, right. something cool is the German singer at the end. I mean, most people probably know this is is Kubrick's wife, Christiane. Yeah, yeah. Who was German, and her uncle was uh, someone who made a Nazi propaganda film, mm. and uh, and Kubrick is Jewish, so. Yeah. It's it's kind of cool that they um, found each other and made it work and were together for yeah. so long. I mean, until the end of his life. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kubrick. Yeah, he had. Uh, he had even considered making a, a film about the Holocaust and tried to get it made and and stuff, and um, unfortunately, it didn't happen. But. That would have been interesting. I wonder. I mean, I don't think it would have been a, a good watch. Yeah, it would have been super depressing. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, um, yeah. Hey, they're my favorite type of movies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Well, um, yeah. I mean, it's crazy that that guy kind of knew that Kubrick was going to be as big as Chaplin. I mean, that's. I know. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I mean, when you work with the best, you know. Yeah. It must have, you know, just the, he must have seen the way that he's just got the full vision in his head. Because I don't think Kubrick used, because Hitchcock was very much about storyboarding it out. Mm. But I think, I don't think Kubrick did. I think it was just all in his head. Yeah. He just knew what he wanted to see and worked hard, knew how to get it. Yeah. Um, And whereas, you know, and I mean, there's similarities. I can see the similarities. Chaplin, you know, was a perfectionist. He worked so hard to make sure that every shot was as good as it could be. Um, just reworking and reworking until he got it right. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, he probably saw the same with Kubrick. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Well, do we want to rate the movie? 
Yeah, I feel like I what we... talk about this movie forever. I've got so many things. I know. But... <laughs> yeah, it's hard to just, you know, be like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, uh, well, actually, I already saw your rating. Sorry, on Letterboxd. Well, that was the rating from the first time I watched oh, it. Oh, you really? I haven't changed it. it. I kept it on. Yeah. So I when was the first time you ever saw this? So it, it was part of a DVD collection, obviously, that <laughs> everything is that I, you know, bought a long time ago. The first time I watched it, let me let me pull up the date because the good thing about Letterboxd, it tells you the exact date. Um, April 2017. Nice. So, yeah, five years ago, a yeah. little bit more. Um yeah, and I think, you know, blown away by it then. Couldn't believe that this early Kubrick was as well made as this. Yeah. You know, um, and then doubly blown away this time, I think. So I think for you to jump in straight away, I think it's, you're going to rate it five stars. I think you rated it five now. Yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I rated it five as well. Yeah. Yeah. Completely incredible just yeah i mean every just everything i just haven't been able to stop thinking about it and just the way that it's handled is so well done yeah it's i just love it i think it's incredible yeah um which brings me on to a question that i think i'm going to be asking you every week um moving on because we you know we've both talked about kubrick being such a established filmmaker and that it's hard to to not give his films high ratings mm-hmm. you know as we go along this journey um but one thing i do want to do is ask you you know week after week is this a masterpiece yes i think i would um, agree yeah yeah i mean like i said i think if i was trying to explain the human race i would show this yeah. film um yeah. Yeah, it would go in a in a vault. Mm. In a library of Congress. <laughs> Which it's in. I think it's I think it's the first masterpiece. I think the killing so yeah, yeah, is I've got a real soft spot for the killing. I I just really like the story. Um and there's, you know, you can see him bloom, but this is like wall to wall gold. Yeah. For sure. You know. Um, which brings us, I think, to the ranking. I mean, I don't think there's going to be much deliberation. Yeah, I think this has got to go the tippity top so far. I think so too. Yeah. So, so far, it's just all in order. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is better um, and better. I'm interested in to see, you know, as we get into the like, this is a, you know, just the the wonder years. Mm. <laughs> you know how we can differentiate between what goes top, what goes second, what goes third, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I, I know there's some obviously big hitters come in, but then there's some that, you know, maybe we're not so hot on and might go down the list. I don't know. Yeah. It's like, are we going to say that, that uh, Paths of Glory is better than Dr. Strangelove? Yeah. You know, what's yeah. it going to be? Is it better? Exactly. Yeah, is it better than Full Metal Jacket? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, which is the one, you know, the war epic that you would associate Kubrick with. Yeah. 
To find out the answer to that question, you'll have to listen for the next two months. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, speaking of which, what are we watching next week? Next week, we are watching Kubrick's first foray into the studio epic, um, Spartacus from 1960. Um, I have never seen Spartacus. Um, I am very much looking forward to watching it. Um, it's a film I don't think is associated with Kubrick very often. Um, so I'm excited to find out why and, and if we can see the maestro at work. Yeah, I have I have been uh, waiting to get to this film. Like we yeah. haven't, there's only one other sword, sand and sandal epic that we've watched for Film Church Radio, yeah. which was yeah. on our other director series for Sergio Leone, The Colossus of Rhodes. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's a genre that um is so unique. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited to is. see what Kubrick does with it. Me too. It's um yeah, it's gonna be a good one. Yeah. So that'll be next week. Um, I think that brings us to the end of the show, everybody. Uh, you can find us on all the social media platforms at Film Church Radio, and you can follow us individually on Letterboxd. I'm at Selmascope and Lewis is at Walker Lewis 3007. There you can keep up with what we've been individually watching and what we rate things. And of course, we have all of our back episodes streaming on all good podcast platforms. So please leave us a rating and review and uh, let us know if you like the film and what we should watch in the future. But with that, the only thing I have left to say is it would be a pity to lose your promotion before you get it. A promotion you have so very carefully planned for. Sir, would you like me to suggest what you can do with that promotion? Mr. Walker! (laughs) You will apologize at once or I shall have you placed under arrest. Just one of the, like, ridiculous lines where I'm like, yeah. what a child. Yeah. <laughs> like, he didn't even so, say anything. And he's like, I'm going to have you arrested. <laughs> Somewhere, Kirk Douglas is shaking his head at my <laughs> my performance of his lines. Nah. It was good. <laughs> I <Thanks>. believed it. <laughs> All right, everybody, go say some film prayers. Pray to the film gods, and uh, see you next week. Amen. Amen. Bye. Peace.